0: Moving on to the main event of the night, the 1849 California Gold Rush was a hoax. If you noticed, uh, the I made a typo, not in the paper, but uh, it's up here in the top of Discord. I put the 1949 California Gold Rush was a hoax. So if you came here tonight expecting to learn about the 1949 California Gold Rush I'm sorry to tell you it was a hoax because there is no 1949 California Gold Rush. I did learn that In-N-Out Burger was started in 1949, so fun facts, good times. But we are talking about the 1849 California Gold Rush. Part one: the empty city. The year was 1849. See, I no typo here. It's it's all good. I think in this paper there might be some typos, but hopefully I get the date right. And I highlighted it for you that's when it happened you know in 1849. 1849 is the answer to the pop quiz and all you really need to know for the final 1849 if you need that spilled out for you it's 1849 with dashes in there because san francisco did not exist before 1849 give or take a year and something about gold and all that oh haven't you heard everybody flocked to san francisco in 1849 for gold the reference to the gold and also the part about the flocking is important though we mustn't forget the year it's why we even have a name for the gold rush prospectors and we call them the 49ers and in case you have already forgotten or perhaps history isn't really your thing we have an nfl team called the 49ers if nothing else the 49ers will draw you into the cult of patriotism which is also an important component to the indoctrination process 1849 i'm starting to think the united states corporate government wants me to know that nothing of importance happened in san francisco before 1849 but that's probably none of my business before anybody accuses me of deadly dawdling i might as well get right to the point as if the title wasn't descriptive enough already yes the 1849 california gold rush was a hoax but then again, the founding of the city of San Francisco doesn't fare much better in my opinion. It's a millennial kingdom city, totally pre-existent from the official date they give for us for its founding. What I'm showing you is a slide from my Sacred Word Publishing 2023 presentation. In that slide, you will see two images and three dates. The photo of the Palace of Fine Arts is a definite contender for the MK narrative existing decades, if not entire centuries, before the World Fair expositors assigned its construction, but more on that some other time. I'm not going to be talking about the World Fair tonight in case you're wondering. The map is the Urbano Monte, and it's a thing of beauty. And I talk about this every so often. I love this map. It's dated to 1587, by the way, though just between you and me, the one is an eye for Jesus, telling us that the year of his creation is actually the year of Jesus 587. Tomato, tomato, the elephant in the room in regard to the Urbano Mate map is that it shows an actual elephant being carried off by a bird, but then an even bigger elephant is in how Urbano unashamedly lists a great deal, many pre-existing cities across North America, conveniently where the world fairs were held among North America cities. You should be able to spot the capital city of Quivera of the Quivera Providence, easily enough parked right alongside the two Tatankas. We are told that this city was a mythological city that it never really existed. One of the seven cities of gold, which the conquistadors sought after. But come on, you and I both know St. Louis when we see it, I'm thinking Ch- uh, Chio Giga is none other than Chicago. There are dozens of other cities and it's, it's a shame that they destroyed them because think of all the ongoing revenue from the world fairs. You look at Q and tell me the cities of the plain are Native American villages. Amazing then how San Francisco is listed among them. I wonder which tribe that one belonged to, Miwok is it? I will remind you for the third time that the date on the map is I-587 or 1587. Official history claims the city on the bay wasn't founded until 1776. Oops. But even then its name was Yerba Buena, uh, according to official history, even though the map says San Francisco. It wouldn't become San Francisco until 1835 or thereafter. Story has it that its first inhabitant, William Richardson, pitched camp out of a ship's sail on a sandy rise near what is now Grant and Clay. Yeah, right. It wouldn't even receive the official San Fran title until January 30th, 1847, in a perfect symmetrical buildup to the Masonic gold rush hoax. How very strange then, considering that a Spanish-era map shows a city along the coast called San Francisco. Call me crazy, but 16th century mapmakers weren't prophets. Somebody is lying. Probably a lot of people are lying. Speaking of lies, here we have a cartoon drawing of what the city of San Francisco supposedly looked like in, there's the, word, the, the date again, 1849. I'm seeing random wooden buildings and people on a camping trip in the foreground. Looks like a pioneer town if you ask me exactly what you might expect of a hastily built frontier city intended to cater almost exclusively to prospectors who have only just arrived to shower and shave before heading up to the hills the problem i am initially having is that the sketch wasn't even published until 1894 it's an artist's reimagining of what he thinks it might have looked like not interested in depicting the old golden gate in say 1848 hmm? the night is young perhaps we should keep looking henry Firks is said to have drawn this cartoon in wait for it 1849. amazing his perfect sense of timing Uh, Firks didn't arrive to sketch the city in 1848 or 1850 nope it was the year of all years 1849. i tried learning more about this Firks fellow like was he a mason or a jesuit or a newspaper man or above all else or or i'm sorry or all of the above and only managed to glean that he was tasked with sketching california in the 1800s strange then that i can't find a single other drawing in the public records i'm sure you know there's probably tons of information they're holding back from us but nothing so far that i can find online about him other than this sketch right here there's plenty of this one to go around too Wait a second, the 1894 sketch is just a ripoff of this one. Well, there you have it. In 1849, San Francisco looked very much as we would expect to find a blossoming Gold West town. And then there it is. Photographic evidence that absolutely no funny business is going on. Just three city developers in top hats planning out the future of your ordinary run-of-the-mill cowboy town. The scene is Portsmouth Square circa 1851, the future location of Chinatown. It is here we are told that the first American flag was raised in 1846, and also the precise location where the discovery of gold was first announced. If this photo is documented evidence of anything, it's that a conglomerate of city entrepreneurs and money grubbers all chaotically plopping their tents and their houses of sticks and bricks into random parcels of land mutually decided to go from a ragtime movie set complete with the bonanza theme song played over the loudspeakers to something resembling a millennial kingdom city who are those three men and can they be president of my hoa it's difficult enough getting the potholes paved on my street i have to go out and do it myself uh this is (laughs) (laughs) These, These three men were amazing. See what I mean? It's in the middle of a gold rush. And San Francisco was successful in elevating a Western movie set to something resembling the family vacation to Europe that you've always dreamed of. That's the old city hall, by the way, LOL. Because nothing says etheric harvesters in the form of domed resonators or electromagnetic coils in the forms of arched rotundas and corinthian pillars quite like the paper pushing of a government records office and then we have the freemasons headquarters on the right looking very gothic suffice to say those are not the sort of places i'd be interested in visiting on holiday but that is only given the circumstances you and i both know a repurposed building when we see them. But then we are treated to this here dribble. We are told that Broadway is being carved out of the rock in preparation for greatness among the street corners of Kearney and Montgomery and that the year is wedged somewhere between 1860 to 1870 when it was taken, those are the years they give us. Yes, 1860 to 1870, remember the years. And San Francisco still looks like a howdy town to me. I'm seeing the shacks of gold prospectors on the hill and horses pulling incredibly small carriages, even for 1800 standards, but no construction equipment. Well, here is uh, Montgomery street in a few short years. The picture on the right is dated to 1876. What in the yeehaw is once again quite suddenly missing from the golden gate city that i've come to know over the last few pages that's quite the transformation laying the mustard on kind of thick don't you think it's all so suspicious that i'm thinking an extra splash of tartar sauce is needed to keep the south blowing breeze of pier 39 and the wharf at bay yet another picture of the city dated to 1880. The scale difference between the pedestrians and the horses and carriages with the grandness of the buildings is undoubtedly telling. The power drill hadn't even been invented yet. I'm pretty sure that's the Masonic Temple, by the way, with its Gothic spires in the uh, the back, oh, kind of on the right side there, uh, uh, which we've already seen. The vulgarity of the human mind, grounded into the earth and the mud rather than the heavens above, as represented by the liquor store, is yet another contrast in all of this. That's something which the inheritors would contribute right alongside the horror houses, which is plenty of that in San Francisco, and there would have been, of course, in the 1800s as well. Perhaps the most important documentation of the Bay City derives from a panoramic series of photographs dated to 1877. If you're keeping track of the time, we're 28 years after the Nugget announcement. And San Francisco is a fully realized haven. Not that such a feat is impossible. I mean, there are plenty of landscapes which have received the urban treatment in as little time. Southern California is a great example of this. If you were around to see the the orange orchards during like say the second world war and then by the time I was born, it was just a concrete block. Not beautiful architecture like this though. The manifestation though, from gold camp to architecture equipped with uh, uh, antiquitech is nothing short of breathtaking. I recommend you spend an afternoon giving it the look If we are alike, uh, this this picture right here, there's a link right there and you can zoom in and you can see, you know, just look at every little detail of this uh, photo. It's a beautiful photo. If we are, are alike, then it will be an experience long remembered. I am even including a link, allowing you to zoom in upon every nook and cranny. Tell me what you see, or rather, what is missing. Something is awry, all right. I'm just not ready to tell you yet. The, the panorama is attributed to somebody named Edward Mybridge. I know Wikipedia lists him as Edward James Muggeridge, but that is only because he changed his name several times. I mean, you can't even keep up with this guy's name changes. Mybridge isn't who he truly was. He was born a Muggeridge and ended up a Mybridge, though even his first name is toyed with. Quickly, I was able to find another Muggeridge, a Malcolm Muggeridge, was listed as a journalist for the newspapers, but not even Wikipedia cares to hide the fact that he was a spy. He started out as an operative in Moscow promoting communism because all the original communists were spooks and spies. I mean, it's, it's so obvious. But then, and they even say that, I mean, it's for this guy, but then jump ship to MI6 after promoting communism in Moscow, he then <laughs> went over to mi he was MI6 all along, of course, but as if that's not suspicious. And then after the war, helped bring the, get this, the Mother Teresa project to the forefront of Western consciousness, because Mother Teresa was a project. There is at least one spook in the family, it seems. Well, back to Edward Muggeridge, or I mean Ed Ed Weird Mybridge, or whatever his many names are, I can't keep up. And gleaning from his wiki page, we come to learn that he migrated from England to America in 1950 when he was only 20 years old. The actual year when he arrived in San Francisco is not mentioned, though. By 1960, but, uh, see, I, there, there, there is there. It is right there. There's your. Um, uh, your misprints. I should say 1850 and 1860. So sometimes it just goes to show I've got this finger and it, it like once hit the eight and it goes to the nine, whatever. But though no, by 1860 we are informed of a serious head injury due to a stagecoach crash in Texas. I find that suspicious, and I'll tell you why. I even find his next few years recuperating in Kingston upon fame suspicious, learning professional photography. But then I particularly find his return to San Francisco in 1867, at least I got that date right, wherein we read he was a man with a markedly changed personality, and that's right there in the the quote in in Wikipedia, to be highly suspect, rising above all suspicions. Look, people have oops accidents and it's a thing of life. I'm not talking about those people though. I'm talking about Edward Muggeridge emerging from his accident as Edward Mybridge that's phoenix talk victims of the mk ultra program emerge from psychodramatic episodes a changed person as well and the sheep will never bat an eye somebody is bound to tell me this, that the cia program hadn't been created yet yeah well my control of that level goes all the way back to egypt and babylon the cia are just resurrecting get it, the phoenix they're they're resurrecting an ancient practice that goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity i found it I find it all suspicious because he is written off like a nobody before the head injury, and then a great innovator afterwards, complete with a distinct personality change, which involved the killing of a man. He actually went back to San Francisco and shot a man. Went on trial. It was very public. I wish I would have covered more of that because it it has just all the the markings of the same thing. Case in point, Thomas Edison may have been responsible for the invention of the. Uh, kinetograph motion picture camera as well as the kinetoscope people motion picture viewer both in the whereabouts of 1888 but it is my bridge who paved the way in 1878 with the horse in motion which many credit to being the first ever motion picture i talk about this a lot you guys have seen this but this is the guy the same guy who did the panorama of san francisco is a guy who uh created the first uh experiment with you know animation FYI, Mybridge produced various other motion pictures, though if I showed them to you, I would be accused of distributing homoerotic material. Like the two naked dudes playing leapfrog over the other. (laughs) This is the stuff I have to look at uh, to research this stuff. There are some things I wish I could unsee, and that is one of them. Yep, the earliest motion pictures were nudies. Does that really surprise anybody? It's like they invented and they went straight there, that straight to the nudies. Among Muggeridge's personality alterations, we come to learn that Helios was one of them. It says right there, in addition, he used the pseudonym Helios, according to Wikipedia. It was his pseudonym, as well as the name of his San Francisco studio, and later the middle name of his only son. Sounds like alchemy, if you want my take on it. Labeling himself the Titan of the sun identifies the light component. To his industrial magic, as well as a potential tip-off to the inner divine and the fact that he was an initiate, and I'm and I'm sure pictures such as this one were completely routine. This is one of the more family ones that I can show. Uh, the others are pretty incriminating too. But Muggeridge or Mybridge or Helios or whatever name he was going by on that particular week was just out and about in the woods, minding his own business, enjoying nature, when he stumbled upon three witches scrambling up their morning eggs over the cauldron. Yes, that must be it. Nothing to see here, folks, moving on. Where are all the people? That is what I was hoping you'd notice a few pages earlier. Their eerie absence. San Francisco is a ghost town. We are back upon the panorama of San Francisco again, having taken a closer look at its photographer and the, the visual before us isn't stacking up quite right. Where are the horses and the carriages? Well, I'm not seeing any. There should be. Check out the, the pole in the foreground, right there in the kind of bottom left-hand corner. It has a shadow. The shadow is pointing west towards the Pacific, informing us that we are gazing upon the city in the AM hours the height of the pole when compared with the shorts and length of the shadow tells us that it's closer to noon rather than sunrise do you recall that i even dropped a link asking you to spend an afternoon going over every plate an hour even though i suppose five minutes during your next bathroom break will do plate after plate reveals a fully developed city the only missing component are the people i will remind you that my bridge helios captured the scene in 1877 San Francisco held a population of 150,000 people in 1870, though its numbers would have been closer to 233,959, mark, according to an 1880 consensus, because remember it's 1877 and closer to 1880. Apparently they didn't get the memo. The city was empty. You will tell me that early cameras had slow shutter speeds so slow that a person could walk completely through the frame before it was taken, and that is why the city looks empty. Wrong. Though early um, images required a, and I'm, apologies, I was a fresh photographer, I don't know how to pronounce this, uh, Dugger-reotype images, you can see how it's spilled right there, required exposure of around 20 minutes, that's a long exposure, according to the official narrative by the early now this is like 1820 okay when these were rolled out by the early 1840s it had been reduced to about 20 seconds and this is 1877 we're talking about okay that they they were doing this is the same guy who i showed you was doing very fast paced imagery movie camera stuff right he was able to snap 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 get his pictures there's a reason as to why okay, I showed you Mybridge's horse in motion. He was perfectly capable of capturing animation, and apparently you didn't study the panorama as I had asked you. If you had taken the time to scroll all the way to the left, the picture I'm showing you here, you would have observed horses and carriages moseying up the street. I'm carrying five of them, so you can't say that I, I can't say that there's nobody in this picture. This is way out to the left, and you can see horses and carriages. There should be all throughout this photo there should be way more here is yet another frame capturing the hint of activity though it is minor at best i'm counting two horses a cart and a heaping of building material in the foreground and so it would be correct to claim that i am saying nothing was built in the city at i'm sorry it would be incorrect for me to claim that i am saying nothing was built in the city after 1849 don't be ridiculous obviously things were built Contrarily, the building materials gives the impression that another house of sticks is being built, just like a western town, which is exactly what I have come to expect from a generation arising from the mud, particularly in a pioneer town. The far right side of my bridge's panorama, and we're on page 55 if you need caught up, it's just as stunning as the rest, if not more so. In little time, San Francisco transformed from a tent and shack layover destination to a fully developed cityscape complete with spiraling cathedral towers and steeples of the antiquatic nature, and there are no people. And believe it or not, Wiki does throw us a bone. On their California Gold Rush article, it's linked to you there, we read, when residents learn about the discovery of gold, it at first became a ghost town of abandoned ships and businesses, but then boom, as merchants and new people arrived. So let me get this right. Everybody just abandoned the city and made for the Hills. They just got up and left like that. That seems to be what they're saying. And only a little awkward Did they even bother to lock the front door. How long do you suppose San Francisco remained a ghost town a week, a month, a year, maybe we're not really, told. We're, we're not rightly told. They tell us the population had boomed to 25,000 full-time residents by 1850, but the ghost town story seems like a clever way of introducing a once-thriving Millennial Kingdom city to its new arrivals. Yes, that is what I am suggesting. It all leads me to suspect the the Mybridge Helios uh, was selected for this very purpose, to document a rather odd moment in his story, as inconvenient as the mud flood. The Gold Rush was, of course, just a cover story. So going on to part two, The Gold Rush Hoax. Apparently, this is a quote from James Marshall, the man who discovered the gold. And it says, what is is it, inquired Scott? Gold, I answered. Oh no, replied Scott, that can't be. I said, I know it to be nothing else. No sooner had the Mexican-American War ended on February 3rd, 1848, when quite suddenly a Freemason named James W. Marshall discovered gold at Sutter's Mill in Coloma, California. And I've actually been to Sutter's Mill. Just a little side note there. Masonic history will tell you that Marshall discovered gold before the war came to an end, January 24th, 1848, to be precise. I call it convenient January 24th happens to be 10 days before the war was formally won by the United government, United States government, but it would not be confirmed until March, 1848 by Freemason Samuel Brannan, a newspaperman, and high ranking and high ranking Mormon Freemason newspaperman, and Mormon, I always knew San Francisco was on acid, but that's. T- but that's just through the roof high wire activity right there now next week or uh, the next session when i talk about the whole session will just be on the donner party hoax and I'll just give you a little preview samuel Brannan, he's the guy that made the whole thing up he's responsible he, he's a newspaper man he invented the whole thing anyways and not just any mormon either after the death of joseph smith in 1844 the church of latter-day saints decided to relocate their center from uh, Nauvo, Nauvoo, Illinois, to California, which at the time was beyond the United States border. The Treaty of Guadalupe-Hidalgo in 1848 oversaw Mexico ceding 55% of its territory, including the present-day states of California, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, most of Arizona and Colorado, and parts of Oklahoma, Kansas, and Wyoming. So... <laughs> you know how we're like all supposed to like uh you know pay like modern day black people for like the sins of the fathers who held them in slavery even though many of them are descended from slave owners too you feel like if you need to be like i feel like if we need to be consistent like like maybe we need to, they they in turn like everybody needs to start paying the mexicans too you know just start paying everybody just move the money around gotta pay the native americans pay the mexicans pay the blacks and yeah make sure everyone gets paid with jay smith gone brandon found himself the highest ranking religious leader in new york he set sail for california upon the brooklyn in january 1846 bringing along an antiquated printing press and a complete flour mill the mexican-american war started on april 25th 1846 three months before his arrival in Yerba uh, Buena, something was indeed happening. The Mormons wanted California. The United States government wanted California. The Freemasons wanted California. Hell, the Jesuits had established their presence in California as early as the late 17th century. Clearly in the few short years leading up to Marshall's discovery, there was a rush out to California and it wasn't for gold. Spooks were being put in place. Everyone wanted a slice of the alchemical pie. Brannan arrived in Yerba Buena on July thirty-first, 1846, only to be greeted by Commander John B. Montgomery of the United States Navy. They had preceded him by as little as three weeks, taking the city from the Mexicans on July 9th. And Brandon was pissed, apparently. Of course, it needs to be stated that Yerba Buena is advertised to us as a small insignificant Mexican port reportedly containing 100 structures upon Brennan's arrival in 1846 many of which were saloons by 1847 the population of yerba buena contained approximately approximately 450 inhabitants and then something happened the mormons had agents in place the ma- the masons had agents in place many of which were mormons and the US had its military in place, many of which were Masons, though perhaps not Mormons, in it. Never mind, fact check. The Mormon battalion was actually a thing. They served for one year during the Mexican-American War from July 1846 through July 1847. Their job, marching up and down California. You can't make this stuff up. The Mormons and the Masons and the military, or the MMM, as I like to call it, call them, were all in bed together. And then not to be overlooked, the 49ers arrived because of 1849, you know, just as suddenly the city of Yerba Buena was reconfigured to its San Francisco counterpart, even though I've showed you the maps, predate that. And there's actually more maps than just the one I showed you that show San Francisco, but why the supposed name change after St. Francis of Assisi too, the man who stripped off his garments so as to renounce his paternal inheritance. Carl Swanson, a self-proclaimed 32-degree Mason, wrote in in the September 1984 issue of The Northern Light. I've linked it there if you'd like to read that uh, lovely magazine. I had to scour through that magazine to find this. Uh, The things I will do for you guys. I I will read through Masonic newspapers and magazines. A Masonic paper with an alchemical phoenix for its logo, you can see right there, that masonry wrestled the town of Yerba Buena from the murderers and other criminals. It is furthermore due to their involvement and concern, Swanson insists, that San Francisco became the great city that it is today. So he's saying that that California and San Francisco became what it is as we see it today because of the Freemasons. Well darn. And here I've been calling San Fran a Psyop City for so long that I've forgotten to thank him or thank them. The person responsible for the name change was someone called Washington A. Bartlett, the city's very 1st alcade uh, governor. I look Bartlett up. He's related to Josiah Bartlett, a signatory of the United States Declaration of Independence. Also, they're both Freemasons. Freemasons are, of course, everywhere in the narrative. I could throw you into the deep end of the pool and sadistically watch you attempt to doggy paddle through them with a leg cramp, and I won't. But there's one name in particular who may be worth bringing up after serving as the private secretary to new york governor daniel d tompkins who became vice president in 1860 1816 freemason jonathan drake stevenson was personally offered command of a regiment of 10 companies of 77 men each by president polk in 1846 with the understanding that they would patrol california they landed in Yerba buena an old an untold number of agents in place on november 9th 1849 business leaders of san francisco who were affiliated with lodges across the country formed the first lodge of free and accepted masons which was furthermore granted by the grand lodge of the district of columbia stevenson was its first master i should have put that in red too i bring this up because california's first constitution was adopted four days later on the 13th of november by april 18th, 1850 california's grand lodge was formed Stevenson becoming its first Grand Master. I guess that's highlighted for you there. And then, not surprisingly, on September 9th, California entered the United States. So there's a very quick succession of events here that happened. They bring the agents in place, create the PSYOP, one of which is the uh, the Donner Party. Uh, That happened leading up to the gold rush, and again, we'll get to that next time. They create these PSYOPs, false flag attacks like the Alamo, and uh, so on and so forth. Getting back to Samuel Braddon, the Mormon Mason newspaper man founded the California Star, originally a Yerba Buena-based paper, releasing its first issue on August 1st, 1846. Uh, and of course, he, he leads us straight into Donner Party. Shortly thereafter, James Marshall entered into a partnership with John Sutter. Again, it, it's just crazy that the guy who discovered gold, I should have this more, was in a partnership with John Sutter. Okay, the founder of Sacramento, Marshall, you know about. well, I checked. Setter was also a Freemason. It's so much more than that. I mean, I could just write a whole paper just on, and that should just you know, cause us all to look and go, how in the world did the guy who discovered gold happen to be working for John Sutter? And by the way, everyone at the mill at it's called Setter's Mill, right? Everyone at Sutter's mill, they, they all, according to reports, none of them believed that James Marshall actually discovered gold. They called his bluff. It was like, there's no gold here, dude. And, uh, he was never able to prove to them that he'd found gold. So clearly Sutter, he planted his guy, James Marshall, you know, there just to make up this whole story. Starting in August of 1847, the idea was to build a mill in order to supply lumber for the construction of Sutter's fort. AKA uh, Sacramento. I'll talk more about that next time. Uh, how I don't believe any of that at the time, the capital of California was Monterey. John's actually, I should look more at that. That's actually interesting. I, I wrote that. I didn't even think twice about that. I need to look more at Monterey. John Sutter would change that no sooner had the mill frame risen and the, the brush dam finished in January of 1848 when Marshall discovered the yellow sparkly stuff in the spoil in the soil. Mill workers decided to give it a look, and according to Carl Swanson, remember he's the 32-degree mason working, uh, writing the article in the mag in the Freemason magazine. They laughed at his discovery. Those are his words. He said they all laughed at it. They looked at it, go, that's not gold, dude. I will remind you again that Swanson is recounting these events for the Northern Light. I dropped you a link to the article, uh, the actual article. His confessions came across with flavors of esotericism, and they're telling. When we then read that Marshall entered Sutter's office in Sacramento and emptied his pockets. Swanson insists that they alone and nobody else tested the rock and found it to be gold. So only those two guys in his private office, and they could never show it to any banks. You know, they could test this stuff in a bank, right? You just take it in, show it. And they would just take the gold, give it, you the cash value right there. No proof of a discovery was ever found. Marshall then returned to his mill on the morning of January 29th and opened a private investigation up the river. Here, Swanson adds, conclusive evidence was shown that quote unquote gold was lodged all along its course and in the tributary ravines and creeks. Marshall had discovered the Sierra Nevada's divine secret. The entire country was a womb impregnated with gold. Of course, again, he never showed proof of the this, this, this second discovery either. What's more, I can't find evidence that Marshall ever was at Sutter's Mill. The Library of Congress claims you're looking at him right there in that photo. We're on page uh, 61 if you need caught up, if you need to look at the photo. They've included it in a caption which states, that's James Marshall propped up in front of the mill in 1850. Yep, there he is, James Marshall in the flesh, standing around at Sutter's Mill, arms pressed to his thighs, proving to future skeptics, such as myself, that he was there, right alongside the creek, and that gold was discovered by him. But then, somewhere along the way, a miracle actually happened. It certainly doesn't happen every day when it comes to these psyops, but historians at Marshall Gold State Historic Park, of all places, got together and mutually agreed that they'd been hoaxed. The James Marshall Fellow is an imposter. Even Wikipedia is pressed to admit that the person you're le- looking at isn't him. I'll I'll take that as a win. How much of the James Marshall character was invented, I wonder. So basically, like, you know, historians come along and they, you know, they don't, they're not thinking in terms of like how history is a lie. They just think, oh, there must have been a slip up somewhere in the way along the way, but they're like, no, that's not James Marshall. They did like an analysis analysis and everything like that's not do try to understand what i'm not saying people love that part to read into what i'm not saying and then run with it to social media or their home church groups where my papers are apparently discussed i'm not saying there was no gold to be discovered and that nobody lived a plush life afterwards even if the quote unquote gold was intended to be read as something alchemical in nature to the elite it was a Kind of a message they were passing Contrarily, our controllers knew there was gold in the hills some gold i guess what i'm saying is they used agent marshall to draw them out when they were good and ready when they needed to push the manifest destiny narrative forward the irony of california being the quote unquote golden state didn't even occur to me until so I compiled whatever information I could on Calafia, Queen of California, into a research paper. I also made that into a video. In it, I displayed a series of maps which reveal California to have been an island not so long ago. But then another discussion point involves Calafia herself, Queen of the California Island. According to the official narrative, she was first introduced to the world by 16th century poet, uh, Garci Rodriguez de Montalvo. Mat- His epic novel on chivalry, uh, you can see it there, uh, Las Sergas de Esplandian, or The Adventures of Esplandian, was written around 1510, of which we find the most peculiar plot point courtesy of Wikipedia. And you can read that there. And uh, here's my commentary on, I'm not gonna read that. Did I read what I think I read? I did. I just I just reread it again for certainty. It says gold, as in there be gold in them hills, California gold. What are the chances that the very land named after a fantasy novel describing a land of gold would also create the biggest push for manifest destiny in American history because of gold? Slim to none. And to the caliph state of all places i'd say they can't make this stuff up but they do all the time if you need this spilled out for you california was named by spanish mapmakers in the 1500s but only based upon a fictitious land of gold from a spanish novel gold would then be discovered 300 years later according to the official narrative in the very state named after a fictitious kingdom of gold hopefully that was a Wasn't too dizzying for you. It gets worse, though, far worse. In the next paragraph, we are told that the Montavel novel languished in obscurity with no connection known between it and the name of California made by English speaking Americans. Say it ain't so. It wouldn't be published for the English speaking world until 1864. Do the math on that. You may need to pull out the calculator again. It's some 15 years after the gold rush kickoff. Oops. That's their way of telling us to keep our filthy paws off their draperies because nothing's getting pulled from the curtain rod on their watch. Never mind the fact that the country where gold was discovered by James Marshall is named El Dorado. <laughs> it's like, seriously? No, I'm not making that up either naming the land after another conquista legend? are we because you know they obviously they hadn't read that story they knew nothing of it let's just call it you know el dorado just all coincidence in, re- in review what have we learned i have shown you the city of san francisco not overlooking the state of california as a whole were mmm operations from the get-go but then here is something that i neglected to tell we know Brannon was an agent working to secure an exodus for the Latter-day Saints because in June 1847, he traveled to Wyoming to meet with Brigham Young in the flesh, the Mr. Brigham Young, hoping to steer him west, by, but by then it was too late. Young had already wrestled control from Joseph Smith's protege and settled upon Salt Lake City. So Brannon would have the next uh, he could have been the next Smith. He could have been Brigham Young, but Brigham Young, it looks like he kind of wrestled the position from him while he was out on his mission in California. Oh, and that's another thing I forgot to show his picture. Well, boom, then there he is agent Samuel Brennan. We'll be talking more about him next time. It is strange indeed that James Marshall was never once capable of offering proof of his discovery, even after he'd stake claims of his own. The man who invented the gold rush had nothing to show for it. We're dealing with the greatest gold rush. The modern world has ever seen, but like newspaper man, Brandon, those who spread California's alchemy far and wide made their fortune selling supplies to 49ers and I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised to find real estate came into it. Actually I do <laughs> I actually find the Brandon uh, I'll tell you next time. Brandon became California's first millionaire doing what? real estate, San Francisco, they, he and a few other dudes go in there and they like, they just clean house. They knew, they knew they had to tip off. They knew that the gold rush was about to be, you know, happen. They knew it was about to be discovered. they went up in there and they acquired a bunch of property in San Francisco, uh, getting ready for it to become a ghost town. And then the people coming in and selling it to them. Uh, anyways, Brandon sold his paper in 1848. Of all years, was it poor timing, or was his assignment done? No, he he'd all been set up in with the railroads and uh, property and other things like that. One thing seems certain: the entire push for westward expansionism seemed perfectly orchestrated. Speaking of which, on October 26, 1846, only steps ahead of the winter snowfall. Freemason James Reed emerged at Sutter's Fort in modern day Sacramento. Several months earlier, he had started with a wagon train in Independence, Missouri, the very site which John Smith had selected as Mormonism's New Jerusalem. They called themselves the Donner Party and Reed had a story to tell.